And everybody said amen. I want to say at the outset that we are, probably all of us, equally humbled to be in this place tonight, surrounded as we are by excellence, by beauty, by burden, and it's not very hard to catch the spirit of the precious people that fill these seats here at New Life tonight in Cabot and your extraordinary leaders, Brother and Sister Tim Gaddy and Stacy Gaddy. May God bless them for their rich contributions, not just to Cabot, but to the kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. The world in which you and I are obliged to love and live for the Lord is a nefarious place. One for which not a few lines of scripture are dedicated to denigrating, indeed pulling the covers off a world that appears to be one thing but is in fact another. There's ample evidence, in fact, line upon line of Scripture, anointed utterance, to establish the depravity and ensure the destiny of this world, which according to Galatians 1 was sufficiently depraved so as to send the Christ of God to a cross that he might deliver us, Galatians says, from this present evil world. Hear the witnesses and weigh the evidence. 1 Corinthians 11 assuring us this world is condemned. 1 Corinthians 14 warning of the different and dangerous voices that are in it. 2 Corinthians 4 accusing the God of this world of blinding men's eyes. 2 Corinthians 7 telling us that the sorrow of this world worketh death. Ephesians 6 ponders the darkness of it. James 4 exposes the corruption that is in it and declares that friendship with the world is tantamount to enmity with God. 1 John 2.15 challenges us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's the anomaly of affection that even heaven cannot abide. 1 John 5 says the whole world lies in wickedness. 2 John 1 reveals there are deceivers in it. 1 John 2 declares that it's on its deathbed. It's passing away. Titus 2 challenges us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. 1 John 5 reassures us that whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And Galatians 6 declares, it is crucified unto me and I to it. And lest anybody in this room tonight imagine that we can survive a romance with this world. Paul the apostle declares, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved 
this present world. It was sufficient. It was enough to change his direction and doom his soul. Little wonder then that it was God himself who insisted on establishing a place. Everybody shouted, say a place. A tent of meeting, a tabernacle in the wilderness, a temple magnificent and grand, some special spot where maker and man could meet separate, safe, sanctified, set apart from that world that I just described. It was God who gave a man blueprints for a building on a smoking mountain in the middle of a desert and promised to meet him there. It was God whose presence was pleased to permeate Solomon's temple so completely that men could not stand to minister. And after assessing Zerubbabel's honest but feeble effort to restore the glory that Babylon had destroyed, God himself in the midst of weeping elders declares the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the glory of the first. God said there may be less go, but there'll be more God in it. God's everywhere and wherever man is, he can find God, notwithstanding to deny that it was the Almighty himself who first insisted on their being. Here it comes again. Everybody shouted, a place where maker and man come together with the expectation of divine encounter to, to believe that it was anything short of God that initiated that is to ignore a grand amount of Scripture. To believe that place a specific special place, an anointed, appointed place is impertinent to the scheme of Scripture is folly on its face. Again and again in Scripture, we find the phrase, the place that I show thee. Supplicants and seekers were told, there will I meet you, touch you, feed you, change you. There was always a place. There was a there. You put Abraham on any other mountain except Moriah. There's no ram in the thicket and Isaac, his son, dies. Put Elijah by any brook except Sharif. There are no ravens to feed him. And the prophet perishes in a famine. That's the product of his own prayer. Keep Jacob. Away from Jabbok, there is no angel with whom to wrestle. No renewal. He remains a rogue instead of the patriarch of his people. Put any one of them in the wrong place. There's no ram. There's no raven. There's no renewal. Because place, where you are, where I am, place is not just pertinent, but it's powerful, and it's of paramount importance to every one of our lives. And everybody shout, yes. The very exodus of Israel out of Egyptian bondage begins with the words, take off your shoes for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And it wasn't just an anomaly of that first Older Testament, but if you're in the meadow with the master, you eat a lad's lunch that has been miraculously multiplied. Otherwise, you fend for yourself. 
If you are that certain woman at a certain well, you meet the Messiah, drink living water, drop your water pot, tell a city, sow the seeds of revival in Samaria because place matters. Where we are matters. You put the cripple by any other gate, he'll beg and receive alms, but he'll keep his lame limbs because Peter and John will not pass him and pray. The Holy Ghost fell first on 120 when they were in one accord and one place. Nothing random, nothing arbitrary, nothing indiscriminate about that. Put Philip anywhere else in the desert, there's no Ethiopian eunuch. There's no witness, there's no water, there's no baptism, and nobody's converted because where we are matters. The evidence is everywhere. It's overwhelming. Place is pertinent. Place is powerful. And place matters. I'm here to tell you that we have come tonight to sanctify a place and to dedicate a place. And without apology, we stand in this holy place tonight to say that it matters where we are. Clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 46 is proof positive that there are inviolable promises connected to places. There is a river, it says, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. It is not chance, it is not happenstance that in the midst of that magnificent treatise of redemption that is the Hebrew letter where mountains of sacrifice and rivers of blood that define the days of law and prophets are gloriously fulfilled once and for all in the Christ of God. It is not insignificant that right in the midst of that incredible truth, hallelujah, and that explanation of this glorious covenant that you and I now enjoy through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is not accident that we are admonished in no uncertain terms. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The fact that there's a place that we're supposed to be in that place. That things happen in this place that likely will not happen anywhere else is an inarguable truth of both testaments. Maybe it's possible that the most meaningful, important, that the most encompassing and far-reaching promises that were ever made by God to Israel were actually made in answer to a prayer, the dedicatorial prayer, prayed over Solomon's temple. Everybody shouted, say it was a place. It wasn't a person, it was a place. Savor it. If a man sin, he said, and his prayer come before your altar in this house. Matters where we are. If your people be put to the worst before their enemy, 
when heaven is shut up and there is no rain, if there be dearth in the land whatsoever sore or sickness there may be, if your people go to war and if they be carried away captives into a land far off concerning the stranger which is not of your people but is come from a far country for thy great namesake, the appeal of Solomon to God was far reaching but it was precise and this is what he said, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive unto the prayer that is made in this place. And when he made an end of praying, the Bible said fire fell from heaven consumed the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the house in so much that no man could stand to minister and God did not just demonstrate his power he articulated his promise he appeared to Solomon by night and he said I've heard your prayer I love this he said I have chosen this place <laughs> God said I have chosen this place, it was a precedent-setting statement. God not only picked a people, he picked a place. God didn't just pick a people, he picked a place and declared, unmistakably, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. But there was more. God went further. He said, my eye shall be open and my ears shall be attentive unto the prayer that is made. In this place, then he set it apart completely when he said, For I have chosen this place that my name may be here forever. God said, I'm putting my name on that place. So when the gold was gone and the cedar little more than smoldering embers, when the basins and the bowls had been broken and the brass was now tarnished or taken, when God's house had been raised, laid level to the ground, His name was still there. And I can prove it. Daniel was 500 nautical miles away from that temple facing death in a den of lions because he would pray to the sea, to the, to the ruler of Babylon. And the Bible said he went as aforetime and he opened his window, thank God Almighty, and he looked toward Jerusalem, toward the hallowed ground of God's house where dwelt his name. He knew that Solomon had covered him with a promise and a prayer. So he opened his window and looked toward Jerusalem. And the lions got locked jaw and the king couldn't sleep. And by noon the next day, the, all of Babylon was bowing in obeisance to Daniel's God. Because you don't want to ever discount the power of God putting his name on a place. Somebody hearing me tonight, God puts his name on a place. Jonah's in the belly of a whale at the bottom of the sea. I get it. I know he's backslid. 
But you can get very spiritual in certain situations. Amen. And Jonah said, he's in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea. And Jonah said, I will look again under thy holy temple. And his fish coughed him up, and Nineveh had the greatest one-day revival any city's ever had. Even the beast and the cattle started fasting and seeking God. Somebody hear me when I tell you that when God puts his name on a place, you want to understand that where we are matters. That where we are matters. That where we are matters. That where we are has consequences and has power. Clap your hands and shout. Pondering the power of God's house, the prophet Ezekiel saw a river, he said, flowing from the altar in that place. First ankle deep, then knee deep, and then up to the thigh. And finally, he said, it's waters that cannot be passed over, waters to swim in. Listen to me when I tell you, there's a river of life running in this place. It goes to the high and the low. It goes to the rich and the poor. It touches the cultured and the coarse, the intelligent, the illiterate. It goes to every race, every religion, every color, every creed, every culture. And most amazing of it all, of the observations of of Ezekiel he said everything that liveth which move it whithersoever the river shall come everything it touches shall live I'm here to tell you there's a river running from this altar into this sanctuary into this community into this city into people's homes into people's hearts into people's minds and it starts right here at this holy altar Ezekiel said it did because places matter sick bodies are healed truth is told revelations received sins are forgiven lives are transformed good things happen in this place that would not have happened anywhere else. Which is why David the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's why he said a day in thy courts is better than 10,000 and I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. He admitted in Psalm 73, did the psalmist, he said, I, I, I had some bad days. I was envious at the foolish. He said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked and I thought you've washed your hands in innocency and you've cleansed yourself in vain. He said, my feet, they were almost gone and my steps had well nigh slipped until I went into the sanctuary and understood I therein. Here is the place where truth is told and promises are heard and heeded, where yokes are broken and the bound are set free. Somebody hear me tonight. This is a special place. When you and I come here, we come to more than just an archive of images and shadows and types. We're coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company 
of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn. When we come here, we come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. To come here is to come to all of that. You can't calculate. You can't take the sum of this place. There's more here. There will always be more here than meets the eye. Anything is possible in this place. A few Sundays ago, JT, he's a SWAT cop, big old strong guy, came walking down our aisle with his little six-month-old baby boy in his arms, and he was sobbing like a schoolgirl, was JT. I walked down to the altar, and I said, what, what's the deal? He said, brother, he's got a beautiful little four-year-old boy. This is a six-month-old Kate. He said, pastor, he said, my baby's deaf. We found out this week my baby is deaf. So we, we, we prayed because that's what you do in this place. Amen. See, God's got his ear. God's got his eye on the prayer that is made in this place. So the next Sunday, there comes JT again with Cade in his arms. Boys, wrap them up, man. Wrap them up. Talk in tongues, pray, plead the blood. They take Cade back to the audiologist, his physician that's treating him. And he looks at him and he says, I don't know what y'all been doing, but please keep doing it because there's nothing wrong with your baby's ears. He can hear fine now. My ear is a tent. My eye is fixed. My name is in that place. Casey Collins is a retired postman. He's got that kind of skin that you get a lot of cancers. and He had this serious, ugly, bad-looking cancer on his chest that the physicians were going to take away. But, but Tracy goes to the prayer room at 6 o'clock in the morning. And he was in there praying, and, and he said he felt the Lord spoke to him, and he wanted somebody to anoint him, and nobody else had got there yet. So he went and got the bottle and he anointed his own self. Yeah. And the next service, he, he stood and said, can I, can, can I testify? And I said, yeah. He's got sense. I mean, he's not going to say anything stupid. He doesn't ask to do this every week. He said, Brother Williams, he said, I anointed myself in the prayer room this week. And he said, that night I crawled in bed and I had my pajamas on and Debbie was in bed. These are retired people. And he said, I turned to her and said, you'll never believe what I did today. <laughs> she said, what'd you do? He said, I anointed myself with oil and prayed for myself in the prayer room at church. And, and, he, and he opened his pajama top to show her. And as he did, it fell off on the bed. Amen. 
just any place. Stuff happens here that may not happen anywhere else. When you get in this place where his name is, where his eye is, where his ear is. Yeah. Bobby Thornton will be there Sunday. She'll be there. She didn't come to church. She actually, somebody met her, invited her to the Friday morning prayer group. She started going to it. She hadn't been to church. God love her. She had a stroke. And so the Friday morning prayer group went to the hospital to visit her while she was in the hospital. And when they got there, the doctors were taking her into a room to show her a video of what her life in a wheelchair was going to be like because she was paralyzed by her stroke. So the prayer warriors sat there and watched the video. And Bobby Thornton went home from the hospital. Her husband, James, he had never been to church. She had never been to a service. He pulls up on Sunday morning out in front of the circle. Tall James Thornton gets out of his car and gets the wheelchair out of the trunk and wheels it around to the front and picks Bobby up in his arms and sets her in the wheelchair and rolls her in and sets her by the back pew. That happened for a few Sundays. And one Sunday, somebody was just singing a solo about Jesus. Just Crazy stuff goes on in this place. And a young man in his 30s, early 40s, walked across the aisle. I watched him do it. He walked across the aisle and starts praying for Bobby. She's sitting in her wheelchair next to the end of a pew. And he starts praying for her. Two or three more people came. And I thought, now, come on, y'all. Don't get something going here. We're fixing to preach here. And, and, and the, group, the group started growing around Bobby, and they're back there praying. And then real trouble started because I watched them reach under in her chair and put their arms around her and pick her up, and she was hanging like a dish rag from their shoulders. And that wasn't bad enough. They decided they were bringing her to the front. So here they come down the aisle, dragging this paralyzed woman with their arms around her back and her arms around their shoulders. So help me God. God Almighty is my witness. I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying. When they got to the front row, you could see it. It was visible. Bam. Power of God hit that woman. She threw those people off of her that were on her. She started walking and dancing and running. She, listen to me. She pushed her wheelchair home that morning. She has never been in it again, and that's been years. And if you come to church Sunday, she's the one dancing in front of the front row. It's this place. I'm trying to tell you about a place. I'm going to quit. Give me just a second here. <laughs> her therapist came on Thursday, and he rang her doorbell, and her husband, James, usually went to the door, and Bobby answered the door, and the therapist liked to lost it. <laughs> he 
backs up and he says, what, what's going on with you? She said, come on in, I'll tell you about it. Wasn't sure if you wanted to go in or not. Might put some of her pixie dust on him. He walks in. She hands him a phone and gives him the number of a doctor in our church. She said, here, this is Dr. Perez. He was there. He saw it all. He can explain it to you better than I can. She ain't been nothing but dancing and walking and running and blessing God ever since. Because this is a special place. His eye is here. His ear is here. His name is here. The dedicatorial service of Solomon's magnificent temple, you know this. He killed 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen. They spilled 290,270 gallons of blood on that holy altar when Solomon, when Solomon dedicated that temple. And we need to do that tonight. Now, we need to dedicate, we need to sanctify. But what we need to sanctify is the ground we stand on. Amen. Not with a lamb, not with a ram or a heifer, not with a turtle dove or a pigeon, but our sacrifice is the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. There are seven biblical proscriptions for how to do it. The Bible says you can do it bowing, you can do it kneeling or standing. You can do it by lifting holy hands, by clapping strong hands, by dancing with your feet or shouting with your voice. But how you do it is not what matters so much that we do it. Bowing, kneeling, standing, clapping, lifting, dancing, or shouting with our voice. Every man and woman in this room tonight ought to sanctify the ground you and I are standing on. Sanctify the ground you and I are sitting on. Come on, close your eyes and raise your voice. Raise your voice like thunder. Let's sanctify the ground where we stand. Hallelujah. 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 Sanctify the ground we stand on. Hallelujah. 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 If Solomon can shed 290,000 gallons of blood, then I can send up a magnificent praise unto our great God.
Somebody shout yes. Every time we walk in this place, the first thing we ought to do is sanctify the ground we're standing on. Somebody shout yes. Somebody shout yes. Somebody shout yes. Put some personality in your praise. Whoa, thank God, hallelujah, for this place. People are going to feel, be filled with the Holy Ghost standing in their seats. Backsliders are going to fall to their faces on the floor in repentance. Lame limbs are going to be healed. Blind eyes are going to open. Deaf ears are going to become unstopped. His name is here. His eye is here. <laughs> 